Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Psalm 88. This is generally considered the saddest and darkest of all the Psalms. It was written by Heman, the Ezraite, who was the founder of the endowed choir known as the Sons of Korah. It seems that he was a contemporary of David, and he was world-renowned for his wisdom. In fact, in 1 Kings 4.31, he becomes the yardstick against which the wisdom of Solomon was favorably compared. And yet, it is clear from this psalm that he lived a very difficult life. He talks about suffering since the days of his youth. He refers to himself as a living dead man. And unlike most personal lament psalms, this psalm does not end on a note of hope. There is faith here. Heman never stops praying and never stops looking to God as his salvation. But there is no hope expressed, only unrelenting pain and questioning. Walter Brueggemann says helpfully here, Psalm 88 stands as a mark of realism of biblical faith. It has a pastoral use because there are situations in which easy, cheap talk of resolution must be avoided, closed quote. The truth is that sometimes good people do suffer their whole life long. The truth is that not everyone who prays in faith receives that which they ask for. There are people who live their entire lives in pain and suffering and who never receive an answer as to the purpose or plan of God within it. That is true. And that is one of the reasons why this psalm is in the Bible. It is in the Bible to help people in that situation to pray and to express their hurts to God. And it can and should be used by the rest of us to identify with and to pray for brothers and sisters in that situation. And yet, it would be wrong not to point out that apparently all of this suffering did not keep Heman from living a very useful and productive life. He obviously became a prolific author and was a household name in the time of Solomon. In a sense, we can think of him as the Old Testament Fanny Crosby. Many of you will know that Fanny Crosby was a prolific hymn writer and poet And she, too, became a household name by the end of her life. But what you might not know about Fanny Crosby is that she went blind very early on in her childhood. She had some kind of infection in her eyes, and a treatment was attempted that apparently only made things worse. And at the age of three, a doctor declared her situation to be inoperable. And so Fanny Crosby lived the rest of her life as a blind woman. And I'm sure she prayed many times for healing, and no one would doubt that she had faith. And yet, pray as she did and believe as she did, she was never healed. And she credited that for driving her deep into the Lord. And that was, no doubt, one of the reasons why she became such a prolific and anointed writer. And so perhaps what we are reading today is a psalm by the Old Testament Fanny Crosby, a man who obviously suffered his whole life with some kind of 
agonizing condition from which he never received any lasting relief in this life. Hear now the word of the Lord, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the choir master, according to Mahalath Lianoth, a maskil of Heman, the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Commentators will often note that this is the most optimistic portion of the psalm. The fact is that this psalmist never gave up on praying. He went back to the Lord day and night, day and night, his whole life long. He reminds us of the persistent widow in one of the parables of Jesus. She went to the judge day after day after day in order to receive justice. And Jesus says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And yet, putting these passages together, we would have to conclude that sometimes the justice we seek will only be given on the other side of death and resurrection. Sometimes things don't even out in this life. But faith understands that they will even out. Wrongs will be redressed. Injustices will be reversed for all those who put their trust in God. God has made certain promises, and he will surely keep them. And Though it seem long to us, and, and though death at times does appear like the expiration of our life and prospects, faith knows that God sits above it all, and a judgment and a recompense must come at some point in the future. And so faith reminds God and pleads with God and expects to receive from God at some point in the future. But of course, the psalmist wants it now. Verse 3, For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Heman here says that he feels like a living dead man. He looks like a man on his way to the grave. He looks like a man under sentence of death. And you have put me here, God. This is no chance affliction. This is from you, Lord. And everyone knows it. You will not pray usefully in situations of extended suffering if you insist on pretending that God is not sovereign over all. J. Alec Matir says usefully here, Don't hesitate to see your trials as coming from the hand of God. Don't bother your head with problems arising or thought to arise from seeing things this way. This is the truth of the matter. If we are in the soup, it is he who has decided what sort of soup it is and at what temperature and how long and why. He is God. Closed quote. The psalmist is a person of faith. He has questions for God, but at least he's praying to the right God. He is praying 
to the God of the Bible, the God who said, See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Closed quote. Deuteronomy 32, 39. That's the God who is there. And so that's the God that you've got to deal with. Don't invent some sort of lesser deity and some kind of imagined power struggle with the devil. That God doesn't exist. And that God couldn't help you anyway, even if he did exist. So pray to the God who is there and who can rescue. Heman knows that God is in charge of this process and therefore he continues to address him very directly. Verse 8. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Whatever the affliction was, it cut Heman off from his companions, and that only added to his terrible suffering. Matthew Henry says here, Next to the comforts of religion are those of friendship and society. Suffering alone is suffering horribly. And that is the situation that Heman finds himself in. And so he does the only thing he can. He prays to the Lord day after day after day. And he feels like time is running out. Verse 10. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Obviously, you are allowed to ask hard questions of God when you are suffering. In a lot of ways, Psalm 88 mirrors the entire book of Job. Job was allowed to ask some very hard questions of God. Job was given a certain latitude in light of his terrible suffering. In fact, if the Bible didn't tell us that this psalm was written by Heman, we would guess, wouldn't we, that it was written by Job. When people are hurting, they are, apparently, allowed to ask hard questions. Do you not even care whether my life brings you glory? Would you rather I was dead? Why do you push me away? Why will you not smile on me? Do I mean nothing to you? It isn't wrong for you to ask those questions, my dear brother, my sister, if you are dealing with long-term pain. If you have been praying and God has not been answering, then you can pray this prayer. That's why it is in the Bible. It is here to give words to your suffering. Verse 15. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. That is the end of this psalm. Unlike the book of Job, there is no happy ending. 
There is no postscript about how Heman was healed and vindicated and restored. Maybe that happened, but there is no record of it here. For all we know, Heman lived his whole life in pain, sickness, and suffering, and then he died. So what do we do with this psalm? Derek Kidner says helpfully here, with darkness as its final word, what is the role of this psalm in Scripture? For the beginning of an answer, we may note first, it's witness to the possibility of unrelieved suffering as a believer's earthly lot. The happy ending of most psalms of this kind is seen to be a bonus, not a due. Its withholding is not a proof of either God's displeasure or his defeat, closed quote. I think that is true. Healing is a bonus in the life of the believer, not a due. The Apostle Paul knew that. He prayed for it and did not receive it, and he was content. He learned to accept that as the Lord's will, and sometimes we have to do the same. But of course, like Heman, we keep on praying because sometimes when the bowls are full of the prayers of the saints, blessings and healing flow down like water. But if it should be our lot to suffer our whole life long, then let us remember that there is a final judgment. There is a recompense. There is a new heaven and a new earth coming on the other side. W.S. Plumers is here. For nearly 3,000 years, the pious author of this ode has been singing a very different song before the throne of the Eternal, and his eternity is but just begun. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 